Hello and welcome to this special episode of the Female Athlete Podcast. We know we've been away for a little while, but we return to discuss some very insightful and very relevant research carried out by our co-hosts, Dr. Georgie Brunvels and Dr. Jess Piasecki, who you'll just know as Georgie and Jess. Um, alongside um, the two of those, Dr. Natalie Brown from Swansea University, uh, Dr. Laura Forrest from University of the West of Scotland, and Becky Williams, the Managing Director of the organisation Stride Active, join us today to uh, talk about this research that they all um, were a part of. So um, the research they carried out is around menstrual cycle support and education in UK schools. I'll leave them to tell you more about the findings, but the study did highlight the urgent need to address menstrual cycle education in schools across the UK and to increase information provided to young people that goes beyond just your average biology lesson where you learn about the science of the menstrual cycle. So perhaps I'll just dive in with the first question. Um, so Nat, Becky, do you want to just tell us a little bit about this study? Um, what brought you on to do this research in the first place? Yeah, where to, where to even start with this? I think it was through conversations between all of us really, so myself and Becky, but also myself and Georgie, talking about um experiences we were seeing within the work we were doing so actually um working with female athletes what their education levels were like but also i let becky definitely jump in more from a physical activity participation perspective and actually just what level of understanding do females have around the menstrual cycle and definitely part of that came from our own experiences as well like talking around actually what what education did we ever receive when we were younger? Where did we get that from? At school, it was literally just a one-off lesson. It was like, at some point, you might get your period. Um, kind of a good luck and over to you statement um, was very much what I experienced. Yeah, so that, thank you for having us on there today. Um, but yeah, definitely the same as, as what Nat's just said. So my, I guess my approach is much more from an education perspective. So I work with schools, with teachers, with, with young people. Um, and we specialise in how we can actually help young people become more physically active. And we know that obviously having a period is, is a significant barrier to that. So it was just through my and Nat's conversations where Nat's looking at elite athletes and I'm looking at a girl who might be 11 years old in a primary school that's experienced, experiencing her period for the first time and actually being put off being active as a result of that. So we kind of all just started to come together that actually there's a much, much bigger picture here, which we need to explore a little bit more. Yeah, I know, Georgia, you spoke a little bit about your own experiences before on the podcast, haven't you? And uh, have spoken about the education or the lack thereof. Did this sort of uh, want you to sort of look into this research a little bit more, do you think? 100%, I think. Um, I was actually talking to one of my school friends yesterday and we were there. we actually both started menstruating really, really young. But if only I knew that she had then I feel like I would have been able to speak to someone about it. But because no one, there was no normal discussion around it. There was no education. Like, I think I did have that one lesson, but that wasn't actually until I was in senior school. Um, I feel like I was just, it was like a stab in the dark as to whether I really un, un, like knew what what I should do. Or I was just lucky that someone said to me, no, no, you should definitely keep exercising. That really made me motivated to appreciate that that was actually the thing to do. Um, alongside that, I think, Nat, Nat, I remember beginning speaking to you about how in our day jobs, we're always dealing with elite athletes who 
it blows my mind, I know it blows yours as well, that they maybe are 30 and they actually have no understanding about this. And if only they could have received the education when they were 10, 11, 12, 13, and not just that one-off lesson, but a real um, structured education um, like series maybe in the context of sport as well, um, then yes, maybe it might get us out of our, or put us out of our jobs, but actually, it would really help them get the most out of themselves and, you know, be fearless and limitless. And I think that's really essential for every girl and woman out there. And Becky, do you have like a little bit of an insight as to what, you know, we talk about barriers uh, for these young women when they're going through puberty and starting their periods and things. Um, do you have like, um, not a database, but an understanding of what these barriers are from the young girl's perspective and uh, given your line of work? Yeah, it was actually only kind of around September time last year that I, I kind of sat and chatted to a group of girls um, aged 10, 11, so just into year six. And we were chatting about being active and, and what maybe stops them from being active. And I was just overwhelmed by their response. And, and they said to me, you know, we, we don't want to be active. We don't want to wear shorts um, just because the boys think we've got fat thighs. And I was like, oh, my gosh, at the age of, of 10, you're getting so hung up in terms of your perceptions of yourself. You're worried about others judging you. You don't want to look silly doing PE or, or being active. And for most of those girls, they wouldn't have started their periods yet. So in my mind, I was like, you're already feeling like this. And actually, you've got this significant change to come, which is going to present even more barriers. So I think that's why it's so important that we actually address this. And and start to educate girls and liberate and empower girls because actually if they're already feeling like that without the barrier of, of, of having a period, then it's only going to exasperate those feelings that they've already got in terms of feeling self-conscious, feeling judged, feeling embarrassed, um, and just feeling insecure about their bodies. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a bit more about the study, what the study set out to achieve, um, how you carried out the research, and and who you collected the data from. Oh, maybe give us a bit more of a background as well about what the study was looking into. Yeah, no worries. So the I think we started off thinking we want to change what menstrual education is like, you know, all from our own experiences. But first of all, we really needed to understand actually what was menstrual ed- education like across schools in the UK. So that was our starting point really was actually what is um, menstrual education currently like in schools? And what support is given to teachers in order to deliver that? What, you know, what is covered? So we started this study, included um, an online questionnaire, which was aimed at um, teachers from across all of the UK, um, from any any school and any level. Um, So when I say any school, that could be state and private, um, all levels, so primary, secondary, and Um, We had 789 responses from teachers that allowed us really to look at what menstrual education was like, what was covered. So was that just the biology? Was that lived experiences? But also um, asking questions like, do do teachers have resources that enable them to to teach menstrual education? Whose responsibility is it within the school? Um, And included in that was also things like, are there what is their perceptions of how it might affect factors such as participation in physical activity, attendance at school, school performance. So we, we really asked like a 
a wide range of questions to really kind of establish what what that looked like in schools. Okay, and what were the specific barriers? You mentioned there that there could be um, barriers to sports participation in young girls due to puberty and then and starting their period. But what are the specific barriers to menstrual cycle education that you were, that were highlighted by the study and the responses from the teachers? Yeah, a large a large one was time. The teachers having time and also resource to actually be able to deliver menstrual education. Um, not feeling supported, not feeling they've actually got the the knowledge and therefore the confidence to deliver information around the menstrual cycle. There was a lot drawn upon. I mean, I think it was like 91% of respondents were female. So a huge number of respondents in the survey were female. Mm-hmm. And they felt even with their own experiences that they didn't maybe have the knowledge or understanding to be able to deliver menstrual education. Although there were examples when they've drawn on their own experiences to share and try and support the girls that they teach, um, there was this kind of massive gap of resource confidence to be able to actually deliver that information. Um, And not just, you know, science teachers like, yeah, we're really happy delivering um, metro education because it was around the reproductive system. Whereas it didn't actually cover anything like how do you manage menstrual symptoms you know, what is um, an irregular menstrual cycle? How do you manage that? There wasn't anything around that more lived experience of girls actually being able to use that information that might be negatively affecting them. You think that's quite surprising in this day and age? Would you have thought it would have changed by now, you know, given, you know, we might have had our educations maybe 20 years ago, or whatever, but is that somewhat surprising or is that sort of what you expected to find? I think it's what, we expected to find having had like our experiences within our jobs but was almost kind of hoping that wasn't the case which is one of the reasons to do the research to almost be like actually things might have changed let's explore if those experiences are different to what we had um but unfortunately it very much painted the same picture of there just not being the support um for girls around menstrual cycle I think there's still um, a big taboo around it based on the, the insight from the research as well. So teachers spoke a lot around culture and actually how that affects or limits what they can teach because of, of different cultures that students are from. But also that culture amongst parents as well. So we think about the generation above us. I think we're starting to open up a little, a little bit more about it. But I think if we look at that generation above us, they're still not. So I think, you know, some of the comments were, you know, parents would be mortified if they knew we were teaching this. So I think there's there's a huge, huge kind of wider societal issue that actually forms part of those barriers that teachers face as well. Yeah, I I mean, I found like some crazy, well, some of the data I just thought was absolutely crazy. And while it marries up with maybe what I would predict, I felt that it was actually really quite extreme. So for example, um, 88% of teachers feeling that the menstrual cycle actually affected PE participation. Like often, you know, we hear people talk about, oh, girls won't swim when they're menstruating, but like 88% feeling that their uh, participation in PE has been limited or totally restricted. Um, Alongside that, actually, the 
um, attainment that girls are having and attendance. So the attitude and behaviour, 82% felt that the menstrual cycle was influencing that. 82% also felt that the menstrual cycle was influencing school attendance. So that's crazy. Like so many kids are actually missing school as a result of this when we know that there is so much that can be done, as Nat says, to manage symptoms. And obviously, as we've said rightly, like maybe we weren't that surprised that there wasn't that much support in this space, but it really, to me, highlights like there is a lot we can do about this. Um, Also, not to be the stats guru here, but 88% felt that confidence was also affected by that. And I just think that's so sad. We're missing such like low hanging fruit options here to actually empower athletes. And as Becky highlighted, like girls are really vulnerable at this time. Like they feel um, almost um, ashamed to be that developing woman. And I think we can help give them this education and understanding this is a normal natural process. There's lots you can do to support yourself and always work through it with them through a sporting lens because yes, not every single um, young girl is going to want to be your next Dina Asher-Smith or Jess Piazeki, but actually um, many of them like need to have the understanding of the benefits of physical activity, both from phys- from a physical perspective, but also from a mental health perspective. Definitely. And we look at things like confidence and access to learning. And we know actually that physical activity can play a really important role in that as well. So it's important that girls know how to use that in a really positive way to actually address some of those negative feelings they might have as a result of menstruation as well. So I think, yeah, it's, it's certainly one that we, you know, we want to be able to empower girls to actually use physical activity in that really positive way to actually support what they're feeling rather than to actually almost reinforce the negative feelings from it. And are you making some specific recommendations now to sort of schools in, um, as a result of the, the paper? So yeah, we've kind of have got um, kind of a couple of approaches that we're taking now. So one is obviously sharing this information with schools really started and also wider so that we can start highlighting this gap in metro education um, and highlighting the fact that, you know, we need to start creating a shift in school um, education, but also culturally, you know, Beck mentioned how like there's like the still a stigma, taboo attached. Um, and it isn't just the responsibility of schools to provide the education. It is all of us within society. That's parents involved, friends, like all of us together need to start creating that change. Um, but obviously schools is one place where we can really provide some really valuable um, education. But our next steps alongside that is to actually speak to girls. Um, So we've obviously got the information from teachers, understanding what education is provided. And now we also want to find out from girls, what is their experience of that education? Do they feel anything's missing? And also like find out more as to why periods are a barrier to taking part in physical activity what's stopping them and what do they what would they like to receive education information wise to be able to try and kind of reverse that and make it a positive thing exactly like Beck was just saying then of actually showing the positive of physical activity and empowering them when they've got this information but for me that you know and for all of us um, we felt that that needed to be really led and the voice from the girls to come through to be able to inform that first so that's our next steps which is really exciting and is just 
getting started now? I think one of the other recommendations we've got from the research is actually about the value of peer-to-peer support as well. So actually, how can we use some of the older girls in, in a school to actually support their peers who are just experiencing and going through that themselves? Um, so I think that, again, that's another really kind of strong recommendation that we want to, to try and put across. Actually, isn't just the responsibility of teachers to educate, but how can we empower those other younger women that have been through it um, and that want to, want to kind of be a positive role model? Um, interesting as well. Um, I would say so in my like most of my day job, I would be spending a lot of my time with elite athletes in sports teams, etc. And we often find that getting the captain talking about this or getting some of the more senior players talking about it really opens the door for the younger players to talk about it. And where we've got like academy environments that we're working with often you know I might go in and do some education but that's not going to be the thing that necessarily really opens the door it is those older players who are you know we talk about you can't be what you can't see if you see people talking about this you see people actually unlocking their superpower and working with their body and not just fighting against this cyclical rhythm which hopefully is going on um you know that really can open so many opportunities for these individuals and it enable them to feel more confident to talk about something which is such a normal natural process 800 million women are menstruating today fyi i think there was something from um, from teachers points of view as well that was really interesting that actually um as, as female teachers they feel they have to hide their periods and, and they can't do their job well enough when they're on when they're on their periods and i think that's really poignant in itself. Um, the fact that as, as members of staff, as colleagues, they don't feel comfortable expressing that to their other colleagues and actually saying, do you know what? I'm feeling really rubbish. Like, I need to go and get a hot water bottle or I need to sit down or I need to take some paracetamol or whatever it might be that they still feel that they can't do that in, in a workplace environment. So if they can't do that and feel comfortable doing that, then how are we actually going to help those girls um, I guess, talk about it, become more open with it as well. And I think as, as much as, you know, I'm sat here doing this research with, with these amazing group of girls and actually I work in a school and would I would I openly walk down the corridor with a tampon in my hand to go to the toilets? Probably not. And that's not because I don't believe I shouldn't be able to, but it's because that actually there still isn't the culture within the workplace to be able to do that as well. So it needs to come from everyone and that's, I guess to me that's the really important part of this research is that we need to normalize this conversation yeah. and, and we need to reduce and, and remove the stigma entirely because until we do that until we get everyone on board doing that then actually how effective can we educate young women yeah and I think actually the lack of education is such a limiting factor because how are you supposed to talk about something if you don't really understand what's going on Um, I think from a male practitioner perspective particularly this is really really um, you know all the more essential because they don't have those lived experiences and um, we actually include may included male teachers in our research and that was really interesting too um, I find again in my day job that male practitioners are, are really keen to be able to talk about this but they of course that they don't feel like they can until they have that education and understanding and tips around how to even get the conversation going like where do you even start how how do you begin here and I think starting with education obviously that was one of the primary initial reasons for us starting the podcast to really um help break down those barriers and normalize it and I I hope over time that this area is increasingly becoming more normal but I think education needs to 
be targeted at all of the different types and user user groups or types of people and um, so that it can be um i guess just become that topic which people actually have a better understanding of definitely and i i think you're completely right there georgie with the education side of things and becky the point that you made is very very interesting as well like we're a different generation to the school kids of today um but we don't want to pass down the kind of learned norms that we've taken from our parents and the kind of society as a whole about menstrual cycle and not showing that you've got a tampon in your pencil case or that type of thing but um so it leads me to my next question which is obviously the research further advocates for the need to open up the conversation. And as Georgie mentioned, this is part of the reason for setting up this podcast, try and open it up and have more people knowing more about female physiology and the kind of biology behind the menstrual cycle. But um, to avoid, to make the menstrual cycle less of an awkward topic and reframe the narrative, I know that's one of your recommendations. How do we address that? It's a very big question, I know, but do you have kind of... um, recommendations about that specific area it's a massive question and where to you know where to start is definitely you know something that we as a group keep talking about how do we approach this how do we really make this change one thing we have obviously discussed and I mean that's a big reason for doing this this research is by showing you know and actually having those that this information available it can really help start creating a change but also hopefully that highlights to um potentially you know sending it to the likes of um government and schools and people in positions that can actually create change without you know this supporting information it would be our own experiences whereas the more we can build information from teachers from girls from um you know athletes all different populations um the more it starts supporting it and i suppose that's how um that that message is then shared and hopefully almost have a domino effect that the more it's shared more widely the more it just becomes normal and actually that's how then um it is kind of openly discussed and i think education is a key part to that you know we we found within our research that um teachers would talk about um, like their own experiences, but actually they really rated their knowledge of the menstrual cycle um, much lower. And therefore that was affecting their confidence to have conversations. So they might feel comfortable talking about it because they can draw on their own personal experience or experience of partners um, or general conversations with peers. But actually not having the knowledge of what is happening, what is the menstrual cycle, what causes it, you know, what even what words to use that's definitely something that some of the male teachers said was I don't even know what words to use when I'm talking about the metro cycle that I'm worried I'm going to offend someone with what I say you know those sort of things if we can start changing that narrative I think is I suppose the the point that's really going to advocate and change this whole approach and perception of the metro cycle yeah, I think I would agree. And, and Georgie, you've, you've said before in the past, the language that we use is so important in terms of potentially it doesn't always have to be, oh, I'm bleeding today. Um, it can be used in a different terminology, which, you know, makes it less, I don't know, what's the, what's the word to describe? It makes it less awkward, I'm guessing, like, I'm guessing by saying phase one, phase two, that type of thing. 
Yeah, exactly. And that was exactly the logic behind our different phases. And also, I think that helps people to see the cycle as actually it's not just you're menstruating or you're not. It's a whole journey that you're working through. And it's, you know, there's different things that go on in your body at different times. But I think it just helps to, yeah, I guess, like just break down that awkward barrier of the word period, which is crazy how it is such a barrier. But as we've all said, like, hopefully in time, this will keep changing. But I, I mean, a lot of our research has been focused on really trying to understand more about the, um, I guess, the interrelationship between the menstrual cycle and exercise behaviors. And I'm sure we've discussed this widely on our podcast before, but we did a big research study with Strava um, back in 20. 19 now um and actually that showed that there was really significant dropout from participation through um the schooling year so through puberty um one of the primary reasons was the onset of menstruation another one was changes to body shape and size and i think to me this data highlights that the problem is not actually getting better and it really is still a fundamental factor and the lack of education surely is a, a big part or has a big part to play in it so um we are definitely on this mission to try and um correct this as much as we can but in the right way and i think as nat has highlighted it has to be informed by girls what they want and we have to work with that because you know, we can't be autocratic and say you must have education like this because, you know, every, every youngster thinks slightly differently. But also, I think we need to get into their heads, I guess, and work out what, what will be most sticky. Yeah, and I think an important factor to think about is, you know, the parents involved in this or the guardians or, you know, whoever's looking after these young girls and sending them to school, etc. So what do you think, based on your research, would be your recommendations to, uh, you know, parents who might read, you know, the, the output or might listen to this podcast? You know, how would they best start addressing this um, issue of taboo and um, bringing it menstrual cycle sort of education to the fore of the, the young girls minds really what what would you think would be best and where to start with that I think it's important that you know again that parents can have that conversation at home so we're not just relying on schools to educate girls I think that that's really critical that like Nat said earlier there has to be it has to come from the whole of, of, of society and parents can play a really important role in that I think it's you know for parents that aren't sure about how to go about doing that. There are some fantastic resources out out there already. Obviously, you know, it's our aspiration to be able to to provide more resources that that are right and relevant, but there are lots out there already. So I think if parents are unsure, there is support there, but actually it's encouraging parents to have that conversation with their school as well. So actually, you know, I don't feel comfortable doing this, but when when are you doing a lesson on this? Or hopefully it's more than one lesson. I think a lot of our experiences are just, you know, we had one lesson, um, and for a lot of us, that was probably in year six. And then there's a massive gap. I mean, for me, I probably didn't start my period until I think I was probably almost 16, if not 16. So I think, you know, I had my lesson when I was when I was 10 or 11. And then I went kind of like five, six years without any education. So actually, parents play a really pivotal role in that time frame as well. Um, and even for those that are actually going to start their period before education starts, I think that's why that parental involvement is so critical as well. And that was actually a really, for me, interesting point that came out from the research that actually some teachers were saying that um, the research and that 
education wasn't provided because the parents were, I think the words were mortified that this education was being provided. But I suppose for me, it's actually how do we change that so that actually parents are supporting that education and also a big part of that to support is for them to be involved. So actually what resources can we provide or direct them towards so they're able to have those conversations that support and advance what has been delivered in school. So it is coming from different areas and it really promotes that it's something just really normal to talk about and actually isn't something secretive and it's just a normal biological process. You know, we talk about so many other things without any sort of taboo, but the menstrual cycle is one that's like, it's something that should be secretive or quiet. And um, again, hopefully just having, you know, that, that awareness that parents play a role in it but also more widely like hopefully messages through social media and adverts on period projects are all changing now so really that whole kind of global collective is is so important but the parents who are there all the time or the guardians um are such a key role in that totally and we need to support like the next generation to be proud of who they are and to be proud of being a female and I think like we being being a female and part of that is of course having these hormonal changes which are so normal and natural and so but they're like this hidden secret that can impact you so much like we know how many people can experience menstrual cycle symptoms we know that there are significant physiological changes that occur but we're just almost trying to pretend that they're not there. So I think, um, yeah, providing like a really good um, education, kind of streamlined approach between um, parents and kids is just, yeah, really, really important. And I think, I don't know, you too, I'm speaking on behalf of of everyone in our research group, but I, I feel like we are so excited to actually unearth how this could look and be creative with our approach as well, so that it really does become um sticky essentially and that it is something which um hopefully people are happy to discuss i think it's it's flipping as well isn't it that actually we've learned that actually you know we can use the menstrual cycle to our advantage as females as well so there are times where you know we feel more more motivated or stronger or more positive and actually I think a lot of young girls won't know that at all. They'll just see it as a really negative thing that, okay, during this this one week, I'm going to feel really rubbish. You know, I'm going to have pains. I'm going to feel low in energy. But actually, what about the rest of it? And, and how can we educate them around that part as well? Because that's really exciting. Um, and, and I think mm-hmm. really positive to be able to share that with them and flip the whole thing on its head. I think, you know, that's that's really important that we can do that through this process as well totally and also like we know that exercise for example is a good means of treatment and managing symptoms so I think our research last year from 2019 even showed that 77% of people said that they like by exercising at different times in their cycle they actually felt that this reduced their symptoms so I also feel it is changing the narrative, taking away the barriers, like you can do whatever you want when you're menstruating. Like there's ridiculous historical myths about not being able to do certain poses in yoga or not being able to do handstands, but actually you can, you can be whoever you want to be. You just need to know how. And also I would say alongside this, like very much to your point, Becky, where we talk about how, okay, it's not just you're menstruating or you're not, but actually your menstrual cycle 
um, can make things a little bit more exciting. So whether you look a bit more at your nutrition, particularly at certain times in your cycle, well, actually best practices around nutrition are seldom taught as well. We know that, but this is another way to deliver information about best practices around nutrition and actually it can support your menstrual cycle as well. So I feel like there's so many kind of overarching messages that we can deliver on all aspects of female health, which will really support the girls now, but also for their, you know, their whole lives. The other thing I was going to ask was about the free menstrual products in schools and and what impact that had on teachers kind of idea of being able to talk about it if there were schools that had free menstrual products whether that was um whether there was less of a barrier to 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 the education side of things did that have any impact even if it's just a reminder that actually this is happening and this is ongoing you know and it kind of just it's that I guess it's that visual reminder I think you know like we said before everything's concealed you know we we don't walk around with a tampon or or or, you know we don't you know we try you know to to hide leaking or anything like that so this is a very visual reminder in schools um I think one thing we did find though was that actually that they are sometimes behind a reception desk or or not accessible in in toilets and we're also in a situation where schools have mixed gender toilets. So actually, if they're available in toilets, so they're, they're still that girls still feel uncomfortable using the products in toilets because they're fearful that actually um, the boy next door might, or even the girl next door might hear a tampon or, or a, a sanitary pad being unwrapped. And, and so that I think there's still a massive um, issue around products in schools. Um, in terms of just accessibility of them, even though they might be visual to to some members of staff, are they necessarily visual to the young people in schools? Yeah, that was definitely picked up on that even if there were free products provided, that quite a lot of the time they might not have been used because it requires girls to have the confidence to go and ask for them. And obviously, from everything we've talked about today, girls uh, kind of don't have the confidence or the awareness to be able to go and ask for that so it's almost a bit of a a kind of cycle that we're in that it's really good that those projects are available but actually they're not available without anyone asking for them and no one wants to ask for them because they don't have the confidence and education to be able to do that um, so the two almost kind of need to go like parallel to each other and support each other so there's projects available um it addresses kind of if you know even things like if a girl comes on unexpectedly so when you start your periods like they can be really irregular so it's more likely at school that you come on when you don't realize um that you're going to but then there's this barrier of actually going to have going down to the school reception to say can I please have a tampon that you know at, at the moment it was very much reported from teachers that that wasn't happening um but the flip side of that was actually there was still a lot of examples from teachers when period projects weren't provided in schools and actually the teachers were taking it upon themselves to make sure that there was something available so they were going to buy the projects themselves so that they were in the classroom if there were any girls that did need them um so although there has started to be a shift in some cases it's still not across the whole um of the school system well thanks for coming on and also I do actually think that sharing something like this also helps to drive the conversation like um, again I think I said earlier I was asked by someone the other day like how do I start the conversation well tell people to listen to 
I mean, I'm not saying you have to listen to the Female Athlete Pod, but listen to different podcasts. I know Nat's done quite a few podcasts as well. And just, you know, that gets people thinking about it. It gets people appreciating it, reading about it. We're really on a mission to create infographics and other resources as much as we can. There's um, a website that Becky has amazingly created. Becky, do you want to tell people what the website is called? Yeah, so if you just want to go to periodeducation.org, you can find the report, the full report on there um and as well as our contact details so actually if you want to get in touch with any of us and um, to find out a little bit more or to help spread the message then please feel free to, to get in touch but yeah we, we just want people just to to read if we can get people to read the reports and actually read some of these findings then hopefully it will kind of i guess evoke some kind of passion in them like it has in us uh, and you know we want more people to to want to make a change alongside us as well yeah so everyone please share the report as widely as you can and there is the research paper which is linked um on the website as well so you can read the take a deep dive of the science too if you want (laughs) 